Welcome back to the Evening Under Lamplight podcasts with Robert Louis Abrahamson as we come almost to the end of The Tempest. We'll get close, but not quite up to the end of the play in this episode. We've had the formal blessing of the happy couple, Miranda and Ferdinand, with the formal closing word, Amen. But the play is not quite finished. There are more threads to resolve, and so here we are with the eighth beat of the scene, reuniting the mariners with their passengers. Ariel returns to the stage from his mission to fetch the shipmaster and the boatswain, whom we'd last met at the very beginning of the play, trying to save the ship during the tempest, hindered by the nobles who tried to pull rank, even though a storm has no respect for rank. The quarrel between the boatswain and Gonzalo continues, though now in, I hope, a much more genial mood since there's no storm lashing over them. Gonzalo had prophesied, he says, that this boatswain would not drown a watery death, and, and here he is, back on land. But what's the news? The boatswain knows how to behave in front of these people now that there's no need for him to overrule them to keep the ship safe. He knows to say that the first good news is that they found the king and his courtiers safely delivered from the seas. But surely what most pleases him is that the ship is not destroyed as they'd expected to happen a few hours ago, but is as well set out as when they first began their voyage. So much for news. But we knew this already, didn't we? Of course, but it makes everything seem much more magical and strange to the others. And then a little aside, a comment, we might say, between the writer of the script, Prospero, and the stage manager, Ariel. Ariel asks for applause for his production, and he gets it. My tricksy spirit, Prospero declares. The Oxford English Dictionary defines tricksy as full of or given to tricks or pranks, playful, sportive, mischievous, capricious, whimsical. It's used here with great affection, as though he's saying, you little rascal, you. Alonso is still on his one theme. The boatswain's report just brings in more strange news, and he wants to know the story of how he has happened to arrive at this spot just at this moment. We get another backstory as the boatswain offers a detailed account of how he got there, which adds more strangeness to the events but also also shows us how efficient Ariel has been and how well he has done his job. This then returns us to the thread of when Ariel will be set free. Was well done, he whispers to Prospero. Yes, bravely, my diligence, thou shalt be free. Uh, but not quite yet. Let's clear these people off the stage first. That will take a few more minutes. And back to Alonso and his anxiety about working it all out. <laughs> he's, he's like someone at a magic show who cannot enjoy the magic but has to keep asking how the magician did the trick. Just cool it, Prospero says. It will all come straight in time. What we see here is that all the nervous anxiety that characterized Prospero in the first four acts is transferred to Alonso, and Prospero, by contrast, is relaxed and at his ease. Now the only thing left to resolve is that Caliban subplot, and so we enter the ninth beat, resolving the Caliban-Stefano-Trinculo thread. 
One of the chief features of this lengthy scene at the end of The Tempest must be the way it keeps prolonging itself, like some fireworks display that you think must be over after that spectacular firework, and then along comes another yet more exciting. So the problem Shakespeare sets himself is somehow to make sure the resolution of this final thread does not let us down. We have to attend to how it picks up the pace even further. Well, for one thing, the three new characters are drunk, and drunken antics are always funny on the stage. He sends Ariel off to bring Caliban and his companions onto the scene, and then, acting like the MC of a variety show, introducing yet another act onto the stage, he announces, And now, for our concluding act, let me introduce you to some few odd lads that you remember not. And on the three of them troop still wearing their stolen trumpery. We have to picture them looking very comical in their assortment of clothing, none of which matches or is appropriate, and is probably askew or bedraggled. Each of the three comes onto the stage with his own response to what's going on. Stefano sees that the game is lost and shows his true team spirit by shouting every man for himself. Trinculo, the jester, makes a witty sentence using spies to mean eyes. These two, comic characters from the lower orders, speak in prose. But Caliban speaks in poetry, and is amazed to see Prospero in his very ornate court clothes. Compared to the other two, Caliban has a good head on him, and he's the only one who realizes the seriousness of what's going on. Sebastian and Antonio seem to have found their tongue, at least for a minute, and have not lost their cynical scorn, the same that we saw in their put-downs of Gonzalo in Act Two. Like Stefano and Trinculo, they speculate how much they could get if they sold Caliban on the market as a curiosity. They're no better than the two clowns. Prospero briefly introduces these three and states their crimes as though bringing them to a court of law. He hands Stefano and Trinculo over to the king to deal with. Now, what will he do with Caliban? After labeling him as a bastard demi-devil, he pronounces the very significant lines, This thing of darkness I acknowledge mine. These are two half-lines. The first half-line ends at a significant point. This thing of darkness I... The line ends with the subject, a single pronoun, a single letter, in fact. It's a very odd way to end a line. I know of no other like it. The effect is to leave us teetering on that word as we pivot over to the next line. What about this thing of darkness? I acknowledge mine. Prospero acknowledges that Caliban is his. Well, he not only owns him, you know, as one owns a slave, but he owns up to him. Up to this point, Prospero has distanced himself from Caliban as some other, something for him to use, but not to have a relationship with. Now it's different. The two are bound together. Perhaps we can say that their relationship is growing back to where it had been in the beginning. But there's a further symbolic significance here. What is a thing of darkness? Yes, there are post-colonial and racial overtones here, the white European acknowledging his responsibility for the darker-skinned slaves in the New World, or we could say the white European asserting his power over the darker-skinned slaves in the New World. 
but I want to take this to a deeper psychological level. As Carl Jung points out, the image of a thing of darkness can describe something we have repressed into our unconscious, our shadow self, which it is our task to bring to consciousness so we can heal. And that's what Prospero is doing here. Caliban really is his shadow self, that self that we've seen issue threats and restlessly try to manipulate others for his own ends. This is that lesser self that Prospero has now abjured. You cannot just say you reject that part of yourself without first bringing it to consciousness and acknowledging it. So far in this scene we've watched as every other problem has been resolved, the forgiveness of the villains, the reconciliation of lost father and son, and so on. But, but what about Prospero's own inner problems? They can be resolved only once he accepts all the aspects of his life he had pushed aside. And these are represented by Caliban, this thing of darkness. Prospero accepts it as his, and he is healed. There's only one more thing left for him to do, which we will get to in a minute. Caliban declares he will now be pinched to death. Yes, possibly pinched, but not to death. Pinched, perhaps, in order to reform? When we acknowledge our shadows, we no longer condemn them. We work with them. The relationship between Prospero and Caliban is resolved on that psychological level, and they are integrated. It's very hard to play this on stage, Perhaps these psychological levels are only for discussion as we read and meditate on the play, and not for performance. After this comes some light relief as we turn to the drunken antics of the two clowns. Sebastian, in need of a stiff drink himself, wonders where they got the wine. Alonso, too, continues to question how things have come about. His persistent questions could be played as comic, but they may also be played to show Alonso as a stately leader trying to restore order. But he's not the king of this island. The order is not his to restore. Prospero sends Caliban off into his cell, taking his companions with him. As you look to have my pardon, he adds, trim it handsomely. Is this the first time Prospero has spoken of pardon to Caliban? He is stern, but less harsh, I think, than before. This is not a threat, but a promise. The transformed Prospero, and perhaps the transformed relationship. Caliban is, if not transformed, at least awakened. He says he'll be wiser now, and there's a good chance of that, since he's had such a lesson just now. What a thrice double ass was I, he realizes, to take this drunkard for a god and worship this dull fool. As Prospero dismisses Caliban, so Alonso dismisses Stefano and Trinculo, with the order to return that trumpery to where they found it. Or stole it, rather, adds Sebastian. The last word comes from that cynic Sebastian. When dealing with these petty fools, this kind of cynicism is appropriate. Now it's time to dismiss all the others, but that will have to wait for a new podcast. We'll meet again there.